Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is our 354th show of ROI. And our guest for today's show is John Keith, production director for Harpo Productions, who is X, I, I suppose that's what that is, who is talk, going to talk to us about Inside the Oprah Culture. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Sapsapital. And our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show, which we refer to as Fadrukta Naran. And today we'll be talking about Inside the Oprah Culture with John Keith, production manager, former production manager for Harper Productions. Uh, welcome to the show, John. Oh, well, thank you very much. So glad to be with you. Uh, could you give our listeners a little bit about the job that you had in Harper Production? And uh, when did you first become a part of the Oprah culture? Okay. Uh, the uh, position within Harpo, which was Oprah spelled backwards, by the way, right. um, I joined them in uh, May of 2006. I was working with XM Satellite Radio at the time. They had uh, come to an agreement with uh, Harpo Productions to provide a satellite radio channel. And she, meaning Oprah and her staff, were able to do whatever they wanted to do on this channel for the amount of money that XM gave them. And uh, the only request that XM had was that one of their staff be part of the Harpo staff. And being originally from Chicago and looking for a way to get back home, I was lucky enough to be that one guy. Uh, So my first year there, I wasn't working for Harpo. I was working with them as an employee of XM. And then after a year, um, for a couple of different reasons, I jumped over and uh, became an employee of Harpo. And um, from then on, um, that was the last job that I had in radio before I retired as a production director. Okay. All right. Um, so my, my first question, I suppose, would be, um, were you aware of... Oprah and and that kind of thing um, when you were working your previous jobs. Um, Oprah certainly isn't the first um, person to do sort of the interview format uh, and and become famous uh, at, at that. We have Phil Donahue who's who's kind even of before that. It, yeah. yeah. Um, so were you aware of the format and kind of what she was going to bring to the table before you ended up working there? No, I don't know that necessarily any of us that were with XM knew exactly how this was going to play out. Uh, The name of the channel was Oprah and Friends, and uh, XM was desperately hoping that Oprah was going to play a very active role on the channel. And she, by that I mean they wanted her on the air a lot. And she wasn't, uh, because she's got other things to do like a, you know, a daily television show. It was very obvious to me after I got there, well, no, Oprah's not going to be here every day, guys. She's going to be here once a week. Uh, However, her friends, Dr. Oz, Gail King, Marianne Williamson, uh, Gene Chasky, Bob Green, 
Dr. Maya Angelo. Uh, who am I missing? There might be one or two others. They were. I mean, we were doing eight to ten hours a day of originating original programming, which was a very busy radio station when you're talking about eight or nine different hosts. Uh, so it was only after we got it up and going that we knew what direction we wanted to go in, and uh, that is what we ran with. So when she was able to give us the resources to do uh, the radio that we wanted to do, that is when the picture became much clearer on how this was going to work. So we were structured very differently than a radio station that I had ever worked for. But I had never worked at a talk radio station. I had done a lot of other music formats, but I had never done talk. Okay, well then let's um, kind of break this down if we can. Uh, to the best of your ability, what would be um, a normal day? I mean, eight hours in the radio, well, that's, that's a chunk. How did your normal day go if there was any normality to it? Um. I never did any live on-air work. Everything as a production director at a radio station does, everything that we do is pre-recorded. Uh, we would be live in the morning beginning with Gail King, and this was years before she was on CBS. Uh, so she had a daily morning show, and I would make sure that before I left the day before that her staff, her crew, uh, would have everything that they needed as far as the recorded material is concerned, uh, you know, along with promos, introductions, any special effects or whatever they wanted of a recorded nature. It was my job to get that together for them. And then when I uh, would come in in the morning, I would be working with the PAs, the uh, producers who were working for individual and specific hosts. So Dr. Oz would have his small crew of two or three people and uh, Gene Chesky would have hers and Bob Green and on and on and on. So they would come to me with their requests. Hey, we need a promo for this. We need an opening close for this. We need an ID for this. Uh, so I was just cranking them out, making the donuts, we used to say. <laughs> uh, and I, that's what I did. I would write, I would direct, I would voice, I would produce. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was just an amazing experience. But it didn't last forever, as nothing ever does. Right. So it feels to me. Tell me if I'm am I with if I'm right. But I don't know that there were many folks out there doing the kind of thing that you're doing. I mean, I'm trying to think of talk radio at that point. You know where talk radio was, and and I can think of individuals, but I don't know that I can think of of people of one unit that was attempting to produce multiple sets of um of of content did you feel like you were involved in something that was unique oh i knew it right away absolutely yes okay so um being that you started off as something that was unique and you said right away um how in your mind did this process grow over the years i mean obviously i'm sure that there are more people involved um we here at ROI have a small set of groups that we work with usually with guests, but we don't have, uh, I mean, yours seems like a, a show in constant motion. So how did it grow or what are some things or roads that it went down that you thought were really neat or you enjoyed? Um, a little bit of background first. One of the last things I did when I was working for XM in Washington before I relocated to Chicago 
uh, was I worked with the Bob Edwards show. And if you remember uh, a morning show on national public radio, um, gosh, what was the name of it? Bob Edwards was the very first host. The afternoon show was uh, All Things Considered. I forget the name of the morning show. Uh, yeah. Bob was the original host. What was it? Um, you got me stumped too here. Um, <laughs> it's no longer on the air. It's no, but okay, right. we'll, we'll yeah. carry anyway, on. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> okay, it might have been Morning Edition or something like yeah, that. that. Anyway, yeah, Bob's that show was every day. And I had listened to Bob way back in the day when he was on the air on NPR. And what we were doing at Harpo was fashioned very much like that because he would have a team of producers when he was at XM for his one-hour daily show. And there would be two people working on today's show, two people working on tomorrow's show, two more people working on the day after, and on and on like that. So for one hour a day, every day of the week, he had a pretty sizable crew. Well, it was that template that we took to XM, not with that many bodies, uh, but with that design, and Gene Chatsky had her crew, and uh, Dr. Oz had his, and Gail had hers, and all the rest. So that was a very unique template, if you will, or paradigm for doing radio for me. I had never done it. Uh, as far as the uniqueness of the position, it really wasn't that much different than what a commercial radio station would have a production director do, except I didn't do any commercials. We didn't do commercials. Uh, we didn't have a sales department. Um, so I was very used and familiar with working with those departments, but not here, not there at Harpo. We didn't have that. It was all about the content. And it was all about making sure that we were, you know, very clearly representing uh, what the goals were of each individual host uh, that we were working for. And I got to work with some very, very creative people and a lot of energy. And it was it was different. It was different. Okay. All right. Well, we have a lot more to talk about. So please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. KALA 88.5 FM, the radio station with the most diversity in the Quad City region. Jazz, blues, R&B, hip-hop, Spanish and Hispanic programming, gospel, new rock, oldies, news, and shows addressing local community issues. And the world's best in entertainment and news from Public Radio International. Here's something different on KALA 88.5 FM, the most diverse radio station in the Quad City region. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is John Keith, former production manager, or director, excuse me, of Harpo Productions, and we'll be ta- we are talking about Inside the Oprah Culture. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. Terry, you get the first question. Yes, I'd like to know, John, um, it's, when I was looking, it said it was on from 2006 to January of 2015. Um, can people today still access some of the podcasts from the Oprah radio shows? You know what? I don't know if any of that content is being reused or not. I, I just heard or read recently that they are going to be recycling uh, uh, to- what we affectionately call toes, 
the Oprah Winfrey show. They're taking that audio and they're going back uh, to the marketplace with it. I don't know, and I don't think they are doing anything with the archives of Oprah Radio. Thank you. Okay, Ed. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Um, John, the title of this show is Inside the Oprah Culture, and as one who never watched, I mean, not because I didn't like her or anything, I just, she was on during the working day, I never watched Oprah, very little, and I have never listened to satellite radio. Can you define the term? What what exactly is the Oprah culture? Um, the Oprah culture is probably intrinsically woven into what her mission was for what she personally was trying to do in her career. Um, Ms. Winfrey, who you'll hear me refer to a lot in that words, because that's the way we referred to the boss when we were on campus, was Ms. Winfrey. Um, because her mission was a shared mission, and it wasn't about, you know, directly getting uh, viewers or directly getting listeners or directly getting advertising dollars. All the different things that I was used to and the other, you know, uh, experiences that I had in radio. Um, basically, it was to um, enlighten and inspire and energize and inform in a matter that, in a manner that was entertaining, in a manner that was professional, in a manner that had integrity. Uh, we tried to be an audio mirror, if you will, of what Oprah's mission was with her TV work. Um, this was brand new for her and her company. They had never done radio before. And so we were the ones that were responsible for taking what she was doing on the TV side, and like I say, mirroring it on the radio side. So we didn't veer off of that very, very much. I don't think we did at all. Um, the culture, to me, um, once I got in it, uh, was a very warm and very empathetic culture. Uh, she cared deeply about people. We wanted to care deeply about our listeners. She wanted to inform and inspire, as did we in our radio broadcasts, in our radio work. Uh, it was all about uh, women. Her target was women, and she made no bones about it. That's why I think she was able to smoke Phil Donahue off, <laughs> out of the radiance when she came to Chicago in the early 80s. Uh, so there... My background beforehand was, you know, obviously male-oriented. I had never worked for a female boss, ever, in uh, the almost 40-plus years I was in the business. Uh, and I had a bunch of them at Harpo, uh, and it was different. I had no difficulty making the transition. Um, but it was just a very, very different experience on a day-to-day -day basis for me, but our message was also very different from any other radio uh, station that I had worked at. Well, then I'd like to pick up that question there. Let's look at your... Your career, you were saying that for 40 years you worked for many different individuals that may, were men. And then uh, Miss Winfrey comes along and very much changes the rules to, of the game in a beneficial way and opens the door. Is that Was that a continuation? Did women after this show get a better footing in uh, production, radio, uh, did this shift everything? Or from your knowledge, did, after the show was done, did it go back to its um, XY chromosome ways? 
Uh, well, when we were done, we were done. There was no more radio. Uh, and I, <laughs> I was virtually the last person out they had to turn the light out because I was the only production director. So for as long as they were going to be producing audio, they needed the production director. And when our staff had been cut by half and by half again and by half again, I was still there because there was nobody else that was doing the work that I did. They needed me. Uh, so when I left, I was one of the last ones leaving. I know that at least three of the women that I had uh, that were my supervisors, they at one point were still in radio. I know one still is. Uh, she's in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, I know one was. She was in Washington, D.C. She was a program director of one of the stations there. I don't think she's in radio anymore. And the third one, I don't know what happened to, to Corny. Um, the, uh, the other uh, younger women that were uh, producers and assistant producers, I don't know where they are. Uh, you know, I lost touch with them. It's been almost, well, it's been a long while. It's about eight years, I think, since I, I've seen them or talked to them. Okay. Uh, so I'm interested. You, you talked about the, the original intent, the, the original thought was that Oprah would be on a lot, that she would, this would be a, it's simply an extension of the TV show. That ended up not being true. Um, you talk about you had direct supervisors. How much was Oprah involved, do you think, in the creative aspects of the uh, shows that were being produced? Was, was, did she keep a uh, sort of a, 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 a parental eye out for what you guys were doing, or was she really disconnected? No, she would not have been able to be disconnected because it had her name on it, and she would not allow anything that had her name on it to be sort of outside her purview. Um, she, she pretty. I'm not going to tell you that she had a handle on everything, but she knew what we were doing and she knew what we were about. Uh, we would, reg I would regularly have to type up scripts to give to a PA to take across the street to when Oprah would be doing her voiceover sessions because she would leave the uh, studio after one of her shows and within two minutes she would be in the voiceover booth and um, she would be and, and people would be lined up outside the door uh, with a copy for her to read and one or two of those people would be from our staff so she was always doing something for us and if there was something in the script that she didn't like the way it was written or if she didn't think it was clear or if she didn't know what was going on uh, I would be sitting in the studio across the street with the, with, you know, with the, with the mic on and my pot up on the board, and I would hear all this. So she was, she was. I'm not going to tell you she was intimately involved in our day-to-day -day process, but she was involved. She knew. Um, she was on the air whenever she was talking with uh, with Gail King. Gail King and Oprah were are pretty good buddies, and every once in a while, uh, Gail would want to reach out to uh, to Oprah and get her thoughts on something that was happening during the day. Um, she would frequently uh, just do little drop-ins with the other hosts as well. Um, and that was pretty much while she was doing the, the daily TV show. That was the extent of her involvement on radio. Okay. It sounds like, was she like a 13, 15-hour day? I mean, my God, how did she fit this all in? Oh, well, way, way more than that. Uh, no, wow. she was there way longer than that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. She was the heart. She was the heart. Not you know, she was a host of a TV show, but she was the heartbeat of the entire uh, corporation. Okay. Terry. Yes, I agree. I think that, and it totally came through with 
what her legacy will be. I read somewhere that her mission was to be a mirror for people to see themselves in other people, in other stories. And by watching these stories of other people, to be lifted, to be inspired, be encouraged to do better in one's life. I know I also read too that she said that she felt her legacy would be the Leadership Academy for Girls that she created in South Africa. But I noticed that Maya Angelou said, no, your legacy is every life you've touched and every human being who ever watched your show. And the overall theme to me is empathy. And that came through in many of her shows. And unfortunately, I worked, of course, and so <laughs> I didn't get to see many of her shows until summertime. And then I delightfully watch uh, the reruns uh, during the summer and absolutely loved her. And I got to see her one time uh, when she did some different uh, tours around the country. There was one in Chicago that my sister and I went to. And it was only supposed, I think it was supposed to be a maybe two hour show. And yet that time flew by so fast. She talked the whole time on the stage. It felt like 10 mm -hmm. minutes and the show was over. <laughs> and we're like, wow. Uh, no, right. she was very inspirational for many of us. Okay. Um, Terry, you have a question. Do I have a question? Yes. So yes, so um, do you feel that uh, reaffirms her mission? Um, what do you think her legacy will be as someone who worked very closely with her? Uh, I, you, I, I, I did not work closely. <laughs> I well, didn't work closely with her. her people say, oh, you worked with Oprah. Okay. No, I worked for her company. Okay. Did you get to see her every day? No, I did not get to see her every day. We did not have offices next to each other. I did not yell out the hallway, hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Mrs. O. Miss, but Miss O. Oh, yeah, yeah, Miss O, yeah. yeah Miss Winfrey. No, there was nobody that said, hey, oh, believe me. Believe me, nobody nobody would do that. I have, no. uh, Terry, I'm sorry. I, I lost track of your question what was your question oh her legacy w having worked for her, her legacy production. you know yeah, what it's uh i <laughs> she was as big as the beatles yes. she just yeah. was for the people yes. that she touched and her legacy is still i mean it's just like a stone you throw in a, in a lake the ripples are just they're just keep coming they just keep coming she's got her own network now and she's taking her i don't know what the name of this uh, current tour that she's doing uh, I know Weight Watchers right. is sponsoring. I think Coles is sponsoring. Yeah. Twenty twenty. But it's along tour. the lines of living your best life or something. Not, not not those words. Those are from before. So I don't think she's um, doing that again. Um, she has left an indelible mark on the people that she's a touched or the people that she has appealed to on television or radio or magazine or TV with her uh, her uh, Oprah Winfrey network, and it's still going on. Uh, I don't know, are we, are we, are we really going to be able to take a look at her legacy while she's still creating it? Because um, she's going she's gonna to be at it for a while, hopefully, hopefully. Um, but the legacy that she left with her TV show in Chicago for the people that worked with her, people that worked for her, the people that had the uh, privilege and the honor to, to go into her show every day, uh, and work for that or to see her show from the studio audience yeah she's going to leave quite an impact I used to if I can have a little side story here I used to take the train to work into the city every day and I would get off the train and I would walk west uh, maybe about a half mile or so and she would do two shows a day three days a week so for Tuesday Wednesday Thursday she would do five or six shows generally five for five days a week but she might also do a show for next for the following week there would be people mostly women lined up outside the door regardless of the weather waiting to be let in 
and looking like they were going to church, dressed in their Sunday finest, because by gosh, this was the Oprah Winfrey show, and they were going to get dressed up. And it was like 5.30 in the morning, and they were not going to be let in until, you know, easily 6.30, and the show taping would begin around 8.30 or 10, 8.30 or 9. So this was almost like a -a once-in-a-lifetime event for a lot of people to show up for an Oprah Winfrey show and get into the studio audience. Well, I sit there along those lines of legacy. When she came out with her TV show, I was in college, and I was working at a restaurant, Italian restaurant, and it was along the strip of Welsh Avenue and Ames, and the gals going to class that would stop in to watch her show in between mm-hmm. back and forth, and this is when it was starting to take off. I mean, here you're going, right. why, are you, why are you... Now, this is, of course, college, and maybe not everyone in television, I get that, but the ones that would come into the restaurant just to watch her show, and they would say, "Well, yes. we have to say you got to order something. This is <laughs> good old restaurant. You got to order something." But it just baffled right. me. She, I think she's the only person in the '80s of popularity and status that could be on the same plane with Michael Jordan. I mean, that you're actually on a level plane, uh, let alone Chicago or anyone else. What would people think right. of that? Right, she was she was she was way up there with in the rare air of Michael Jordan. <laughs> You're right. right. You're right. Uh, she was anybody's equal and 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 more. Uh, and she and it happened so very quickly. Yes, it did. Um, ABC TV in Chicago, Channel Seven. They were getting smoked for years by Phil Donahue. And what are we going to do? And uh, I don't know how this woman and her local talk show or her, her segment of a talk show in Baltimore popped up on somebody's screen. I think that she was recommended by a recently hired staffer at ABC in Chicago. It says, maybe you ought to have a look at this woman here. And she was the complete opposite of uh, Phil Donahue. She was young. She was black. And she was basically an experience as far as TV goes, where, you know, Phil is, is huge. Um, they brought her in. She was 90 days from the end of a contract term, and they hired her. She began, uh, I don't know if it was January 1st, but it was very early in January. And by the end of the month, uh, the ratings had completely flipped on Phil Donahue, and Phil knew it. Phil knew it was over. Uh, and then within two years, uh, she was national, and she was syndicating her own program. So she, I don't know if there is anything that is even remotely comparable to the movement that she made from zero to where she ended up. It was just amazing. Just amazing. All right. Uh, It's customary to give our guests the last word on the show. John, do you think um, you just explained the Oprah culture to uh, today's 21st century? It's almost, um, if if you had watched her, I hope that I made some sense. If you hadn't watched her... You might be left scratching your head a little bit. Yeah, but what? I don't know. Jeez. Uh, I don't know. I hope so. I hope so. Now, please keep in mind, I'm radio. I'm not television. So uh, we weren't the cream of the crop as far as the resources go. That went to television, not radio. We weren't even located in the same building uh, as television. She had four buildings uh, that she was in in uh the, the west side of Chicago. Uh, so as far as the um, the ground that I operated in, radio and the folks that I worked with, I hope I had given you a little bit of a picture. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. Mm-hmm. 
program, the award-winning Relevant or Irrelevant, is heard Friday evenings at 9.30 p.m. Central Time on KALA HD2 or 106.1 FM in the Quad City area. You can listen over the air or anywhere via TuneIn.com. To hear this program and many other archived editions at any time, visit SoundCloud.com. Search for username KALA Radio. There you'll find Relevant or Irrelevant and many other productions produced at the St. Ambrose University Communications Center. This concludes the 354th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, John Keith, former production director for Harpo Productions, who talked to us about Inside the Oprah Culture. The history buffs for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.